0: So in the late 1960s, the manufacturer of the Volkswagen Beetle had a problem. The problem was they were trying to market their vehicle to an American audience, and they were running into all kinds of roadblocks. Particularly at that time, uh, most of the Americans were buying big cars, cars where they could fit the whole family in, uh, car, or muscle cars that were really fast. Of course, the Volkswagen Beetle was neither, all right? And so they just didn't have a market for it. Then, of course, there was a PR problem that the Beetle was actually manufactured in a place in Germany that the Nazis built. That doesn't sell well with an American audience. And so they didn't know what to do. How could they manufacture and, and promote and market that vehicle to that audience? And then they came up with this brilliant strategy. In fact, many advertisers are now saying it was a historic moment in the advertising world of how to put forward a product. They decided to put this product forward in a marketing strategy called Think Small. In fact, they came up with this ad. Now, just look at this ad for just a minute. This was dramatically different than other ads at the time. Notice all the white space. The product is the only thing in view. And there's only a small little description at the bottom of why a smaller car might be a better car for you. In fact, you can notice today when you look at Apple products and so on, they have the same thing. Very clean, white space, only the product in front. That was started by this marketing strategy. It was revolutionary. But they realized that if they want to make an impact, or a big impact in that market, they had to think small. Now, let's step out of that. Let me ask you another question. What if I told you that you need to create this worldwide movement? A movement that would sweep across the globe. A movement that would be international. That would encompass all types of cultures and languages. How would you do that? Well, you probably would think, well, I've got to have a big budget, right? And I've got to have big venues, and I've got to have big names, and I've got to have a big platform to get my message out. I've got to think big. But actually, Jesus did the very opposite. He started small. Jesus started with just really one small group, a handful, of about five guys, is how he launched his global enterprise. The gospel of Jesus Christ going to all nations. Jesus knew what those advertisers discovered, and that is if you want big changes, you have to think small. Now, the same thing is true in your life. If you want to see big changes in your life spiritually, you have to think small. If you want to have, uh, see big changes, relationship, uh, building more relationships and greater friendships, you have to think small. If you want to have a greater impact in the world, you have to think Small. It's counterintuitive, but it's very, very true. Your problem is not that you're not thinking big enough. Your problem is you're not thinking small enough. And if you say, what are you talking about, Craig? Uh, let me show you in the Bible. All right, get your Bible out. Open up to the Gospel of John. All right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right, that's where we're going to be today. Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage here for what we're about to read. Jesus has grown up in relative obscurity for some close to 30 years in a little town called Nazareth, located in the northern part of Israel, an area called the Galilee, okay? And, and now he's ready to start his, his mission. Rise here. He's starting his ministry. And so he comes to John the Baptist. We'll talk more about him in just a minute. Who is baptizing people and he seeks to be baptized by John the Baptist. And as he's baptized, there John the Baptist realizes that Jesus here is actually the Messiah. He, he saw the Holy Spirit calling him like a dove. He hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And he realizes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus leaves that baptism. He goes in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. Uh, to fast and to pray, and he comes back now to where John the Baptist has been baptizing, and he's going to gather his first followers. That's where we pick up the story here in John chapter 1 beginning of verse 35. So join uh, with me as we look at this one. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 1 verse 35. This is the Word of God. Uh, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, The Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Now stop right there for just a minute. John the Baptist is a key figure in this part of Jesus' story. John the Baptist was, uh, was a fiery preacher. And he had one job. And that one job was to point out who the Messiah was going to be. In many ways, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. All the Old Testament prophets basically had a message that said, The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. John the Baptist's job was to say, The Messiah is here. In fact he's right there. That's the Messiah. That was John the Baptist's job. And so when Jesus comes back after his 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, John the Baptist does his job. He says, look the Lamb of God. Now you might say, well why did he say, look the Lamb of God? I mean why didn't he just say, that's the guy, you know? Or that's the one I'm telling you about. But here's what you got to understand. The term Lamb of God was understandable to a Jewish audience. They understood this because once a year on a day called the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring out a lamb. And and he would put his hands on that lamb. And all the sins of the nation would be put on that innocent lamb. And that lamb would be offered up as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Right? They understood what Lamb of God means. That's that Lamb. Right? So when Jesus, when He talks to Jesus, or points out Jesus and He says, behold the Lamb of God, what He's saying is simply this. That's the one who's going to take away your sin. That's the Messiah I've been talking about. That is the one that will atone for our sins and make us right with God. Now the guys around Him got it. Right? At least two of them did because they peeled off and they started following after Jesus. And so when they follow Jesus, Jesus obviously noticing these two guys are following him, maybe at a distance. I don't know, maybe it's kind of creepish. I don't know, but they're behind him. And so uh, Jesus turns to them and these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. First time we hear Jesus say anything in the Gospel of John is right here. And in verse 38, Jesus, check this out, he asks a question and he gives an invitation. So look look at it. Here's the question, verse 38. What are you looking for? He turns around these guys and he goes, hey, what do you want? What are you looking for? Pretty straightforward, right? I remember when I was in Israel several years ago and we were in the uh, market area and it's just, I can't describe to you. It's kind of like Walmart, you know, like on Black Friday, okay? It's like, Packed, All right. Like lots of, I I don't like to be in closed spaces and and I'm in the middle of all of it. And all these shop owners are trying to get you to come into their shop. Oh, we got it. We got it. And I remember I'm walking down this place and this one shop owner literally jumps out in front of me with his hands out. He goes, what are you looking for? (laughs) Like, I got it in my shop. I'm like, yeah, probably not. Anyway. But this is the same question. Jesus says, what are you looking for? But of course, in a deeper way. And by the way, Jesus never asked a question that he didn't already know the answer, right? He wasn't asking for information. He was asking so that they could articulate what they were looking for. What are you looking for? You know, it's a really important question for all of us. What are you looking for? You're here on Sunday. You're here second service. What are you looking for? You may say, well, I'm... I'm I'm looking to grow spiritually. All right, good. You may say, well, I'm looking for a new church, or I'm looking for friendships, or I'm looking for a place to plug in, or I'm looking for a, a way to serve. Maybe if you went a little bit deeper, you might say, well, I'm, I'm looking to be happy. Or, I'm looking for some peace of mind. World's crazy out there. Jesus asked this question, what are you looking for? And as these guys are kind of fumbling with their response, I'm sure if, Kind of took them off guard. They said, well, um, uh, uh, where, where are you staying? And Jesus gives the invitation. First the question, what are you looking for? Now the invitation. He says, come and see. Come and see. You want to know where I'm hanging out? Come and see. You want to spend time with me? Come and see. It's a relational invitation. Hey, come and hang out with me. Come see and find what you're looking for. I have really come to be convinced that what you're really looking for deep down inside will only be found in Jesus. It will only be found in him because he's the one that created you, he's the one that knows you, and he's the only one that can provide your needs. Jesus asked this question and then he gave this invitation. And then check this out, look at verse 40, look at what happens. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard Jesus and followed him, He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. They all grew up together. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him, Come and see. Philip said, So immediately these two guys that had this encounter with Jesus, he invites them to come hang out. They hang out all day and then immediately they're going to get their family and friends. Andrew goes and gets Peter. He says, Peter, you got to meet this guy, Jesus. When they meet, Jesus gives him a nickname, changes his name uh, from Simon to Peter. Right? Which is gonna be very substantial later on down the line. He changes him, and then they start to go back up to Galilee, where they're from. And I'm sure Andrew and Peter said, hey, we know this buddy uh, that we hang out with back in our hometown named Philip. you got to meet him. And so he meets Philip, and then Philip is like, he's the one. He goes to get Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not buying it, right? Nathaniel's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've been to Nazareth. It's terrible over there, right? Two small towns doing trash talk. That's what's going on right there, all right? Trash talk between them. He's skeptical, right? He's cynical. But yet, Jesus is about to change his mind as well. Here's what I want you to see here. Jesus is starting his global ministry, and he starts small. This is how the Christian movement began. It began with a small group. Did you get that? The whole movement of Christ that reaches you today started with one small group. Isn't that interesting? Counterintuitive? Why in the world would Jesus start his movement with one small group? Well, I think there are some reasons. And they're the same reasons why you need to be involved in a group. All right? So, once you to get your paper out, once you to get your pen out, I want you to jot these points down here that I'm going to give you. Why did Jesus start a small group? Why should you and I be involved in a small group? Here's the first one that a small group addresses one of your deepest or biggest needs. A small group addresses one of your biggest needs, and that is simply for meaningful relationships. Jesus said, come and see, come hang out with me. It was a relational invitation. Everything Jesus did was relational. It always ran around relational lines. When the gospel moved, it went from family to family, friend to friend, it always ran along relational lines. Everything Jesus did was based on relationships and one of your biggest needs is meaningful, healthy relationships. That's one of your biggest needs. That's one of my biggest needs. And the reason why I'm saying this is because people today are incredibly polarized. Would you agree with that? We're we're probably more polarized today than I've ever seen in my lifetime. We're polarized on all kinds of issues. Uh, Even within the church we can become incredibly polarized. Over all kinds of issues today. And and when we're polarized like that, then what you find is that loneliness begins to sink in. You begin to feel alone. After this pandemic, we had to deal with isolation. We had to deal with quarantine. We had to deal with social distancing. And and we're feeling the effects now of that emotionally. One uh, recent uh, survey of 950 Americans indicated that 36% of all those surveyed, said that they were constantly feeling alone. Constantly feeling alone. 36%. That is, out of one out of every three people that you meet, feel desperately alone. One out of three. And aloneness leads to all other kinds of problems anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. It affects you physically. When you feel alone, uh, cardiac problems, uh, anxiety attacks, uh, can't sleep, all these kinds of things happen when you feel this sense of foreboding aloneness. And that's why the Jesus or the scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God did not create you to be alone. After he created mankind, he said, "It is not good for man to be alone." That's not a statement necessarily on marriage, as it is on just the human experience that God made us to be relational. He made us to be in meaningful relationships, and it's not good for you to be alone. And you may say, "Well, Craig, I'm not. I mean, I got friends, man. I got friends. All right, all right. So let's talk about your friends. All right? Let's talk about your friends for just a minute." This is what my children feel like right now, you know, when I talk to them. So you're getting a little taste of that. Let's talk about your friends, all right? Well, I got, I got some old friends from college, you know, and I got, I got some buddies from the office and we do, we do uh, you know, maybe a sports stuff together. Or, you, know, we, you know, we're in a fantasy football league together. We, you know, I, got, I got friends, all right? So let's talk about your friends. Are they godly friends? Do they love Jesus? Are they praying for you? Are they there for you? Are they encouraging you? Are they pursuing Christ and helping you pursue Christ? Or are they just people? Here's the point. You gotta have people in your life that are helping you to pursue Christ. And you were wired for these kinds of friendships. Listen, Jesus started a group because he knew that they needed each other. If they were going to be all that they needed to be, they needed each other. They needed a place to belong. They needed friends that were all pursuing the same goal and all seeking to follow Jesus. And you need the same thing. So a group helps you meet one of your biggest needs in life, and that is meaningful relationships. Here's the second reason why Jesus started a group. He started a group because a small group produces big growth. A small group produces big growth growth. You look at the changes that took place in these, these guys' lives, right, when they started to follow Jesus in this group. They experienced a lot of change. Uh, John, the the one that wrote the Gospel of John, he and Andrew, they changed from being seekers to all of a sudden being convinced that Jesus is the Christ. That's a huge change in their life, huge growth in their life, from questioning to having conviction. Peter, he he goes from just being a fisherman to now being a foundational leader. In fact, later on, Peter will declare, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus will say, on this rock, I will build my church. I mean, Peter emerges as one of the primary leaders of the Christian movement. But he wasn't that before. He was just a fisherman before, right? Huge change, huge growth in his life. Even through failures, he grew, right? If you study Peter's life. Same thing with Nathaniel. Nathaniel was cynical. Nathaniel was skeptical. Nathaniel had all the questions. Right? Uh, can anything good come out of there? And, and, and yet Nathaniel becomes one of the twelve that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's incredibly devoted. And my point is that every life Jesus touches, he changes. And the best way for you to experience change and experience growth in your spiritual life is through a group. Now, let me just say that I'm going to reach on out here and make a statement. Out of all the years of pastoral ministry that I've been involved in, I I can honestly say I do not think that you can grow spiritually apart from a group. You cannot grow to your ultimate potential apart from doing life in community with other believers. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, you can listen to messages on podcasts. Yeah, you can read the latest Christian books. Yeah, you can listen to great Christian music. Yeah, you can worship online. But you cannot grow to the degree that you could grow apart from a group. And the reason why is simply this that you're, the group creates the optimal environment for spiritual growth. Think about a greenhouse. You know what a greenhouse is, right? Greenhouse, you got one of those goofy little uh, framed houses in the back and it's, everything's translucent and it's got the perfect humidity in it, the perfect amount of light in it, the perfect temperature. Everything is perfect optimally for growth. And that is what a group does. A group provides the optimal environment for your spiritual growth. You say, well, like what? Well, we're gonna teach the whole rest of the series on that. But obviously things like Bible study, obviously things like prayer and encouragement and accountability and and a group to serve with, all these things happen within the context of a group. And when you opt out of a group, you're opting out of all those things that you need to grow. You need it. And I talk to a lot of people who go, well, I don't really need that. I'm doing just fine. I'm like, okay, all right, let's just say for for arguments like you don't need that. Somebody else does, and you need to help them get that, right? So there's a place for all of us. We all need this. A group, Jesus created this group. This is how he started his movement. First off, because they needed Uh, They needed each other. They needed meaningful relationships. He also knew that in that group, they would create this environment for optimal growth. And they were seeing real change in their life. And my friends, you will see real change in your life when you commit to group life. But let me give you one more. One more reason why Jesus started uh, his movement with a group. And that is a small group creates a big impact. It creates a big impact. Never underestimate the impact of a small group. Jean Nidec grew up in Queens, New York. And she admittedly, openly struggled with her weight. She did everything that she possibly could to get the weight off and just it never worked. And she would get it off a little bit and then it would come back. This was an ongoing struggle that she had most of her life. She went to a a clinic sponsored by the New York City um, Health uh, Department of Health and they gave her a diet, and she worked really, really hard on this diet, and she dropped 20 pounds, and she was very excited about this weight loss, but she could already tell she was losing motivation. It was probably going to come right back, as it had before, and she was getting discouraged. So in her desperation, she decided to pick up the phone and call some friends of hers, who she knew were also dealing with weight issues, and, and said, would you just meet, let's just meet as a group in my living room, and let's just Meet together once a week and let's hold each other accountable. Let's encourage each other and maybe let's learn from each other and let's see if we can do this together. And so they started to meet. Well, come to find out over a couple of weeks, everyone in the group started losing weight. Every one of them. They started getting healthier, getting stronger, starting seeing results. Well, they started talking to all their friends, and now their friends are wanting to get in this group, and the their friends are wanting to get in this group, they, had, they were trying to fit about 40, 50 people inside this living room, and it just wasn't working. But this little group that saw some life change, all of a sudden the word was getting out, and everybody else wanted it. Today, that little group is called Weight Watchers that is scattered all over the globe. I mean, internationally, it's a movement But it started with one lady and her friends in a living room in Queens, New York. Never underestimate the power of a small group for a big impact. Same thing happened with these men. They were in the small group. There wasn't anything special about them. They were from a nowhere town. They they weren't anything special, but yet they began to meet together and they began to be transformed by Jesus and God used them globally. These guys who very seldom venture very far away from the little village that they lived in, except to go to Jerusalem, that was the big travel for them. All of a sudden, they were traveling all around the world. John, the, gospel, the writer of the Gospel of John, went to Ephesus, preached the Gospel in Ephesus. Peter preached the Gospel in Rome. Philip preached the Gospel in Greece. Nathaniel, the skeptic, preached the Gospel and gave his life in Armenia for the sake of the Gospel. They were a part of this global movement. Let me tell you what, when you get involved in a group, not only are you going to experience friendships and relationships, not only are you going to start to grow spiritually, but the impact will move beyond you. It won't just be about your growth and what you're getting. It's going to overflow into the people around you. If you've got children or grandchildren, they're going to see the difference because all of a sudden you're walking with God and they're going to see the difference in your life. You're also going to make an impact in your community. In fact, we had a group just this week that went out in the community and began to serve as a group and start to help uh, a family that was in need and take care of painting and doing some yard work and helping them. And that's just what the group does. And they're always overflowing into the community. every one of our groups does this. And not only that, but you will have a global impact. You say, well how is that? Because when you support church planters that we have scattered all over the globe, whether it's in Montreal or whether it's in uh, Madrid or whether it's in West Africa or whether, whether it's in Israel or whether, wherever we are, that, that you are supporting those church planters and praying for those church planters and living on those church planters, you are having a global reach. And some of you are gonna get on the plane and go to where they are and, and help them right where they are planting those churches. See, when you get into a group, it has tremendous impact just as it did in that day, in that first group. So if you want to think about better friendships, think small. If you wanna think about making a big impact, think small. If you you wanna think about growing spiritually, you gotta think small, you gotta think about being in a group, in a small group. Jesus started his worldwide movement with a small group. You say, well, Craig, all right, I get it. I get it, Uncle. All right. I get it. Jesus started a small group. I need to be a part of a small group. So, so what do you want me to do? Well, let me give you two little uh, encouraging steps. All right. Uh, as you think about this, we're going to be talking about group life for the next several weeks, and we're going to be championing that. In fact, uh, starting next Sunday, all the things that I'm teaching from from this platform are going to be. Uh, taught again and studied in your group life. So everything that I'm saying, you're going to be diving deeper into it uh, also in groups. So this is a great time. If you're not in a group, this is the perfect time to get in because everybody's starting at the same beginning point, uh, studying the same thing, and it'd be a great way for you to join in that conversation. But here are a couple of things you can do. Number one, you need to find your people. Find your people. Find a group for you to try. Now you say, well, how can I do that? Well, we're going to provide you a sheet that looks like this when you leave today. And all you simply do is scan this QR code and it will pull up for you all the groups that we have available and descriptions about them. So you can begin to investigate what, what group might be the best for you. There's also a map on the back that shows you where these groups meet. But if you would like more information than that, then you are in good luck because in the back lobby, in our connection area of the lobby, there are people there ready to answer all your questions. They can pull up everything about a group. They can advise you on groups. They can actually send a message to the group leader saying that you're interested, so that group leader will call you during the week and answer your questions. You can do all of that starting today. In fact, we're calling this our Connect Group Concierge Experience, all right? Who doesn't love that name, right? Who doesn't love? here. you can't spell it, but we love it. All right? And so just go back there and say, "Hey, I want to tell me a little bit more about groups. I'm not committed to anything yet, and they'll pull it all up there and, and talk to you about it. One that you're interested, they'll help you take next steps. Man, we're making this so easy because we want you to give it a shot. Find your people. And then the second thing is what I'm calling the four-week challenge. Once you find your people, I want you to try to attend that group for four weeks. Craig, that's a lot. No, just four weeks. Not four months, not four years, just four weeks, all right? But here's my my conviction. If you will go for four weeks, I believe you're going to start to realize the benefit. I think four weeks later, you're going to look back and say, you know what, I'm better off now than I was before. I actually have friends now that I didn't have before. I'm actually growing now that I wasn't before. I'm actually able to have an impact like I wasn't before. Give it the four-week challenge, all right? Give it four weeks. And by the way, if one group doesn't work for you, we've got plenty to choose from and lots of places for you to plug in, okay? All right, you gotta find your people. Listen, when I think about these followers of Jesus in that first group, when I think about John and Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, that was the the starting five. That was the small group, the first initial group. When I think about them, they had to make a big decision to get into a small group. Think about all that, that was at stake, right? If they had said, no, I don't think I want to do that. No, I think I'm just fine the way I am. No, I don't think I want to be with those people. No, I don't want to do that. If they had chosen, they would have missed the opportunity of life change. But they chose to make a big decision to try a group. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you today straight up to make a big decision to try a small group. And you may say, well, Craig, but I just, I don't know, man, I just, I'm not really sure if that's really for me. Then think about this. Let me ask you the same question Jesus asked. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for relationships? Are you looking to grow spiritually? Are you looking to make an impact? If the answer is yes, then come and see. Come check it out. Come and see what community looks like. Come and see what a group might do for you. Come and see. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. When Jesus invited these men into this group, he was inviting them to have a relationship with him. The purpose of our church, the mission of our church, is to lead every generation to know and follow Jesus, but it really gets specific with you. Do you know Jesus? Are you following Jesus? And you may say, well, I I believe in the Bible, I I believe in God, I I believe in Jesus, I I grew up in church, that's great, but do you know Christ? Has there been a moment in time when you give your life to?" Christ? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Has there been that moment of confession and declaration? And if you say, well, I'm not sure. I think so. I don't know. Then you can know. You can know for sure right now. The gospel is simple. When we were far from our sin, wayward from God, that he pursued us in the person of Jesus. And that Jesus went to a cross, and on that cross he paid the penalty for your sin. He died in our place as the atoning sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. He was buried, he rose again the third day, and he offers you new life. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you reconciliation with God. But you have to turn to him in faith. And I wanna invite you to do that right now. If you say, well, Craig, I'm unsure what that means, then right where you are, right where you're seated, you can say yes to Jesus. You can choose to follow Jesus. And I wanna lead you in a simple prayer of faith to say yes to Christ. Now, it's not about magic words that you pray. God sees your heart. But if your heart is to turn away from your sin and to follow Christ, that jesus said whoever comes to me i will by no means cast out and today could be your day this could be your moment right here right now so just with your heads bowed if you'd say craig i i I need christ in my life i want to be right with god nobody looking around, just lift up your hand and say pastor pray for me i'm not going to call you out but i will see your hand and i will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated So just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need Christ. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Several? Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. All right. Okay. All right, put your hand down. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way and I have lost my way. But I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me and I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me a new person. Fill me with your spirit. Today, I choose to turn from my sin and to turn to You and to follow You all the days of my life. Thank You, Lord, for loving me. Father, I thank You for Your unfailing love, Your goodness to us, and thank You that You came to bring us into fellowship with You and with others. And that we don't have to do this life alone. We don't have to live in isolation. That you provided a family for us in your family. So, Lord, I pray that that we would live in community and walk in community and radiate the gospel to those around us. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.